my name is Rifka for everybody who hasn't met me yet. Hi, everyone. Um, <laughs> thank you. Um, if you've met my husband, Simi, that's my husband. And um, we live in Ramapa Chemish and we teach in Tel Aviv. Okay. What we are talking about today is, do you know? No. Chagadia. Who knows what Chagadia is? Go. Oh, okay. A goat thing. I love it. A goat thing. You were on fire today. So. Um, it's the last thing in the Haggadah. Any of you have Haggadah in front of you? In Haggadah, you There's the whole thing there. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. This is fantastic. So, anyone who wants to follow along, take it. Okay. It's not, we're not, we're not looking through every single one. It's just to have it as, as your, as reference. Okay. So one of the last things, the last thing that you have in Haggadah, before some people say, sure, sure. Some people continue talking about the Exodus the whole night, because the more you talk about your own personal Exodus and the general Exodus, the better it is. However, the last thing that's in the Haggadah at Mirza is Chagat. Chagadja is um, a rhyme, a poem, that sounds similar to other poems that people may know. There are some Germanic poems that are similar. There's Dr. Seuss that's sometimes quite similar. What's this doing at the end of Haggadah? We just went through one of the most powerful evenings in the year. We invite people. We have our families around us. I don't know where you guys are spending uh, Seder, but I hope it's an unbelievably sublime and powerful time. And then you end it with a nursery. Room. What? Like, why? Now, let me uh, give you a bit of a background just to make the story a little bit even stranger, okay? Where does Hadagadja come from? So, the Haggadah itself isn't like Shirim, Mishle, that we know who wrote it. The Haggadah was compiled in the medieval times. People don't actually know who wrote it. But it's the same wherever you go. Who wrote the Chagadia? Well, what we have is the first mentionings of it was in Worms, which is in the Ashkenazi world, by the Rokeach. And the Rokeach, if Majors, the Rokeach synagogue there was quite mystical. Suddenly it showed up there. But it has been accepted into common jury, at least Ashkenazi jury. If you're Sparta, you may not say it. It's, it's accepted. So what, what was so special about it that it became accepted? To make it even stronger in the Sephardi world, I don't. I looked up who I looked who this was. I couldn't find it. There was a Sephardi guy who was um, making fun of Haggadah. He was saying, "What is this? These Ashkenazi Jews talking about a goat, talking about a talking about a, a stick, and talking about the the fire?" And the rabbi there put him in fire, excommunicated him because how dare you say something so bad about Haggadah? They brought it in front of the Chida. The Chida was a huge capitalist in the Sephardi world. And he wrote back, even though we don't say it, Hadagia is full of uh, symbolic and capitalistic significance. So yes, excommunicate it. So it's it's obviously a big deal. But what is it? If we want to look at the words, it's basically one of those type of poems where you repeat, like um, um, there was an old lady who swallowed a fly. You always repeat the fly one. And then it goes up, 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 up. You guys know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that's the kind of poem. So um, there was a kid, which is a baby goat, 
that father bought for two zuzim, which is a currency. The cat came and bit the kid. The dog came and bit the cat. The stick came and hit the dog. The fire came and burned the, burned the stick. The water came, extinguished the fire. The ox came, licked up the water. The shocha, the slaughterer came, slaughtered the ox. The angel of death came, killed the slaughterer. Then God came and beat the angel of death. One kid, one kid. It always keeps going out, like the ones in the lady. Okay, so what is, what's the deal? So in order to understand this, we're going to take a step back, which makes sense that this is the last thing we say. We need to take, take a step back and look at what is the Seder? What are we trying to do? I'm going to ask you guys, you guys had a bunch of shirim. Had a yummy, you, is this one of the last classes you're having in Yom Yom? Second class of second day. Right. You had to give me one word, one description of what's your why for your sake. Why are we doing this? What are we doing Seder night? Not Pesach, Seder night. What would you say? Tell me a story. Tell me what story. Right? Okay. Tell me a story. What? Recreating it. Recreating it. Why? You ever heard of Simon Sinek? Start with why. If you haven't, look it up. What's your why? Your deepest why of the Seder. We're telling the story. That's what. We're recreating it. That's maybe how. I'm asking why. Sasha. Um, Continue. Like. When you really, firstly, like you re, you're reliving like Hashem's, like how Hashem saved us and all of that. So it's, it's, and it's teaching you about Hashem and it's teaching you about what Hashem does for you. And, and I think even this, this relates to that, like the order of things and like how does that make sense for like, all, like, great. Okay. You're touching something very, very good. Excellent. You're tapping into the energy of Hashem, which is up. Easier to have into the energy of Nissan, Nissan. Like into freedom and you can connect it. Interesting. So freedom. What do you mean by freedom? Like your own personal freedom? Uh, we talked about this yesterday. I think like freedom to do what you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. Freedom to, not freedom from. Is that what you're yeah. yeah. It's quite interesting because you are celebrating freedom from, freedom from the material, also freedom to. So it's it's actually, I don't know if you learned this last week, last yesterday, but where the average nation will, will stop, where they'll make their uh, declaration of independence and their party of independence, it's when we start to count. Second day of Pesach, right after we've celebrated our freedom from, we start counting this, the, the, the sphera for the purpose of the freedom, which is Shavuot. But else freedom isn't in a vacuum. When we have a freedom, we celebrate it. We're grateful. Great. But now what? And it's very, it's an interesting point. In order to attain happiness, you can't just be free. You also have to fill, fill what was. People who are too bored and don't, don't have meaning, a fertile ground for, you know, any cult or any style or any fad that comes on. Anyway, so what you guys both said is very, very true. I would suggest that the word Pesach, meaning Pesach, which is a deeper understanding of it, means open mouth. Because what do you do in Seder night? Sit and talk. You're supposed to talk. The mitzvah, and um, have a look at source number. I don't have the sources in front of me, but yeah, source six, I think. Oh, thank you. 
we look at uh, on the other side, it is the mitzvah itself is to speak, but not just speak about recreating the Exodus, specifically to speak about the miracle, the extraordinary event, the stuff that is not nowadays, the special stuff, the makas and the splitting of the sea and the mud, all that stuff. That's the command. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a, an eco chamber where Amuna arose. But the question here is, what is Amuna? Amuna is a very big word. As a matter of fact, maybe one of the biggest words in Judaism. People say, I work on my Amuna. And that's very interesting because in other cultures, if you want to um, translate Amuna to faith, you have faith. You either have faith or you don't have faith. You're not working on your faith slowly. It's more, I, I have faith, I believe. But Amuna is a deeper understanding of what that is. And in order to understand, we're going to first try to understand what Amuna is, how that's built into the Seder, and end up why Chagadia is a crying angry for an evening that is an Amuna evening. Okay? Clear? Amuna, Chagadia, Seder. What is Amuna? So in order to understand Amuna, you have to first of all understand what it's not. If we translate Amuna to faith, faith is often connected with blind faith, leap of faith. You have faith for stuff you don't know. That is true. I don't have faith that this table is in front of me. I know the table is in front of me. I see it. I don't have faith that the car is outside sitting here. I hear it. So in a way, that's how we believe in God, because we don't see God. On the other hand, we don't have this blind faith. We search, we study, we have walls of books digging deep into everything we don't understand. That's not blind faith. That's not knowledge based. On the other hand, it's not knowledge either. And Muna is neither knowledge like this table in front of me, like the shadow, because it's not a happy God. Nor is it blind faith that I'm not going to learn about it, I'm just going to believe. So what is it? Let's let's um let's continue and then actually tell me if that's what you thought. So in order to understand what Amuna is, without me just preaching, let's go to the first place we see it in the Torah. Because if the Torah mentions it, that's a pretty good idea how to understand it. So the first place where Amuna is mentioned in the Torah, does anybody know? Well, it's in source one to four. Who would like to read source one to four? Go ahead, Ada. Yeah, sure, in English. Um, just I'll ask you to read the third one, source three in Hebrew and English. Um, I'm just going to tell you where we are in it. This is in Exodus. The Jews have just left Egypt. It's very apropos. And we're not, they just left Egypt. They had unbelievable miracles in Egypt. They saw the splitting of the sea, and our sages say that a, a handmaiden in the splitting of the sea saw more clarity than a prophet. God was just there. And now they got the Torah. And now we're in the desert. And now it's up to them. There are miracles. It's a miraculous existence, but the fireworks are not there anymore. They just have to trudge on. They have to learn the halachot. They have to live differently than they used to live. And then they became weak. And Amalek attacked from behind. It's very important symbol symbolically because Amalek is doubt. They were the ones that were like, ah, these Jews, we're just going to attack them. 
going to show them that they are mortal after all, because all the nations were very afraid of them, obviously. They attack from behind. They attack the stragglers, those who are tired. Symbolically speaking, is Amalek will be the doubts that attack you when you're not moving. You can say, I'm plateauing, you're really falling in spirituality. But you can say the same thing with, with anything. If you're not learning, you're going to forget. You constantly have to be learning. So they, the, the, the Jews were coasting. And that's when I'm all like, <laughs> Joshua is a warrior. And he's like, okay, we're going we're gonna to rally the troops. We're going to fight them. Moshe goes up on a hill. And let's, let's read what happens. Ada, go ahead. Yehoshua did as Moshe told him and fought with the Marlite while Moshe, Aaron, and Yitzhar went up to the top of the hill. Um, then whenever Moshe held up his hand, Israel prevailed, but whenever he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Great. Now, could you just read the Hebrew? Uh, the day Moshe prevailed by Yassiru, Sakhar, by Yeshevala, the Aaron, the four temples, the Yadav, Miza, Ahad, Miza, Ahad, by Yadav, Kamina, Abdo, Hashem. Okay, just a second. So Moshe goes on top of the hill and goes like this. Did you ever wonder why Jews, like lots of spot pictures are of like people dancing like this? Why is this a Jewish thing that comes from here? Because Moshe was like this. And it doesn't have magical properties. But what happened? The Jews were fighting down there and scary to go to war. See their leader, Moses, going like this. Ah, our power comes from above. They focused their mind above. They started winning. But Moshe's hand grew heavy. Because hands will grow heavy after hours of going like that, right? So Hur and um and Aaron took a stone, put it down there. He sat down. Then Aaron took one hand, went like this. Hur took the other hand, one like that. And his hands were a muna until the sun set. His hands were a muna. Hang on. Hands are faith. How can hands have faith or hands have belief? That makes no sense. Well, let's see what the English is. Go ahead, Ada. Um, so it's interesting that this is a translated as steady, but I would add a different word. I would say his hands were faithful. What happened here? Moshe knew the truth. Moshe was there. He saw the stick turning into a, a snake. He saw the, the sea split. He went up, spoke to God, got the tablets. He had clarity. His hands are in this world. They're physical. His hands grew heavy because he has a body. Did his hands want to grow heavy? No, but we live in this world. There's gravity and there's bodies and there's muscles and they're heavy. But he had helped keep his hands faithful to the truth that he knew was correct. Say it again. His body was able to be faithful to the truth that his mind knew was correct. That is Amuna in a very um, symbolic sense. But I'll give you another example of this from the Rambo. You have a farmer, and I've said this probably five times in this classroom, but you have a farmer goes um, with his wagon or whatever to a farm, to a market village, sells his wares. And he leaves a bit later than usual. And he has to go back to his village, but it starts to rain. He has to go through the forest. It's getting pitch dark. 
and he doesn't know whether to go this way or to go that way. This is his livelihood that's on the, on, at stake. He starts trudging along, but it's pitch black. He doesn't know where to go. And suddenly, for a split second, the entire forest is lit up <laughs> Now, after that split second, it's dark again. But out of the memory of what he just saw, with a lot of hard work, he can work his way home. Hopefully, he'll get another lightning bolt eventually. But we live like that. In our lives, we have moments of clarity, moments of lightning, moments where we know something is true. But the rest of our life isn't like that. The rest of our life are like our hand, uh, Moshe's hand. They're physical. Things fade. And um, inspiration fades. We live in a world where we wake up and do the same thing over and over again. Or if Hirsch actually says that the ideal Jew is not the Jew singing in, in synagogue on Yom Kippur, or not even the Jew at the Seder table. It's the Jew, regular stuff, regular clothes on a Tuesday afternoon pivots. That's the Jew. A Jew that lives with a munah, what? Not faith, not blind faith, and not knowledge either. Faithfulness to the knowledge you know to be true. If you've had um, a moment of inspiration, say with Judaism, but it could be with anything. It could be, let's say, with a diet. You had a moment where like you're like, this is true, and I'm going to do this. Okay, that's wonderful. But then two weeks later, that cheesecake looks amazing. And that's where you have to have a munah to the idea of your diet. Same thing here. You go through a Seder. Seder is a spark. You, rem- you have a mitzvah to speak about what? The miracle. The miracle. Not the humdrum stuff. The miracle. The lightning bolt. The knowledge. The clarity. Why? Not for the Seder itself. But for two weeks later. When you might want to cheat. And you remember that God is a God of justice. You don't. That's what And that's why in Judaism, Amun is one of the most important things. Because Judaism isn't um, practiced in the synagogue or in, in even in the Besamekdash. Those things are really important to educate you coming out. That's why a shul comes from a German schule, which means school. You learn in school, but the real work is outside. Nobody stays in school to stay in school. Or I wish sometimes I would, but you, you want to be in school to leave school. That's when the real work starts. That's when the emunah starts. When you guys leave Midrash Rachel and you go to wherever you're going and you remember to be strong about something as small as it is based on what you learned here, that is emunah. And that's what people say, I'm living, I'm, I'm working on my emunah because it's not a, a, flip, a flick of a switch. Well, process. Am I today going to be faithful to the stuff I know to be true? Am I today going to be faithful to what, what I know to be good for me? That's your living with Amuna. The word Amuna comes from the word Amen. Amen, uh, when you say Amen to someone, you're basically saying what you just said, I am holding to be true and I will live like that. Amuna also comes uh, has the word Umanut, art, right? An artist, an Uman. Why? An Uman, what can, is anybody here an artist? Anybody paint? But yeah, as I know you paint. Mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think I actually used you, you as an example last time. But anybody else? Okay, cool. What, guys, what, what, what medium do you use? Uh, acrylics. Acrylics. Excellent. As I, you use oil, right? And also acrylics? Oil is too smelly with the uh, like. Really? 
Not you have to, you can't use water with it. So you have I, to use, use, I use canola. Yeah. Uh-huh. I just use oil. I mix oil. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we, so let's say we have acrylic. That the best form of an artist is someone who has an idea. And from that is able to put it onto a piece of canvas. He's able to stay faithful to his idea and bring it in something that you can see, that you can touch. Sometimes it's not going to come out. Sometimes it's not going to come out exact. And that's okay. We can try to reproduce the things that you have in your head. Yes, go ahead. Yes, I mean, uh, it's a whole other thing. However, when I say Baruch Atasha, when I, when, I, when I say a bracha, what am I saying? Baruch comes from Birkayim, which means basically I am holding with this bracha. The, I am putting myself underneath the mission of the one who created the apple tree or whatever. And you saying Amen is I am putting myself behind that mission too. I am being faithful to what you just said. Clear? Right. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, um, you can explain like with Marsha and like how like steady I understand you would be strong in something mm-hmm. and like why that can't be safe. But if we're translating it as remaining faithful until the sunset, yeah. Like, so I it if you want to read it in like a text, steady is a better way. But symbolically speaking, we use that same word, but not just to hands when your hands are getting tired, but to yourself when you're trying to keep a diet or your mind when you're trying to keep learning, even though things are not inspiring, whatever it is, faithful is better because not everything is so steady. But steady means the muscles being tense, even though they're tired, right? Faithful means, the way I'm explaining it, is staying strong, even though the world is trying to bring you down. Okay? Yeah, thank you. Pleasure. So this is why Leila Seder, the word Pesach is uh, the mitzvah is to speak about the miracles. When we speak, things become real to us. Things being just very up in the sky, oh God, and yeah, I've heard. When you speak, it becomes real to you, and then you can actually keep doing it later. It's a, a proven thing. That's why Pesach, open now. That's also why, guys, kids, Leila uh, Seder is the night for your kids. We're going to tell a bit for. Seder. If any of you happens to be in Tel Aviv, please come to Seder. If you don't have a, if you don't have a place, however, we told everybody very clearly that we're happy to have guests. The first hour or two for our kids, and they can watch literally, because we're not just because we're going to Tel Aviv doesn't mean we're giving up on the mitzvah of the day, which is to tell the Seder. It's the night of Amuna for your children because we need to start this young. It's a process. We need to start Amuna. You have kids, start them young. Give them the those muscles to prevail when things are difficult. To see God, even though everybody's shouting random. And that's a choice that you have to make. Um, okay, that's Amuna. Um, uh, just Rabbi Tats points out, who wants to read the, low, the, the bottom just to end this up? Gosh, go ahead. It's always like this crowd here that, 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 that reads. I appreciate so it. Because it's Rabbi Tats. Yeah. <laughs> Rabbi Tats. Go ahead. Yeah. I know. I think you're here. <laughs> Rabbi Tats points out that this, this can be seen in the star signs of each month. Nissan's sign is the sheep, a passive animal who needs to be led, like we were led passively out of Egypt. 
Um, Aya is an ox, a powerful animal who has a strength of its own, like our working on ourselves in our Omer. And Savan is, um, is twins with a combination of the work of Nisan and, and Ia. Hashem did the work for us, and then we worked on ourselves to apply spiritual growth personally, and then we meet together in Savan, hence the symbols of twins. This is a very, very powerful mode. And then you see this over and over again in the work for Amina. You first have the like bolt, you first have the, the, the leaving of Egypt. Keep that in your head. It's very important. Without those moments of inspiration, you can't get through the drudge of life. That's your sheet. That's when you follow passively. You're in awe. You're leaving Egypt. Great. Then came Ia. When God is like, okay, now work. Now you're in the desert. Now work on yourself. That's when Amalek happened. That's when, when uh, Moses had. That, that was in that time. And then finally, you have twins. Not that God and I, God, not God and us are equal, but the relationship was one of a partnership. Because he he gave us the inspiration and we worked our way as well. Okay, that's a Muna. Now, what does that have anything to do with Chadat? Eleven thirty. Eleven thirty. Okay. Um, okay. Seeing as Leila is a night of Amuna, exactly like Sasha said. And Amuna is the most important thing, basically, in Judaism, because we are a religion on the ground, in the muck, working hard, and still staying true to a lofty high goal. Then why do we end with the nursery rhyme? Shouldn't we be, I don't know, singing some kind of sublime thing? What's with the goat and the cat? So... You have all different commentators explaining different meanings of Hadadia. They all have to do with the Munaf. However, I'm going to try to give you two, two very famous explanations, and they are both very, very different. And when I was thinking about them, I actually saw a pattern that will hopefully leave us with a good guide, not just for Hadadia, but for life. So I'll first start by explaining the pattern, and then I'll put the two explanations of Chagadia into it. The pattern is something that um, from Soloveitch, um, from um, J.B. Soloveitch, um, he wrote it in his book called Halakhic Man. It's actually attributed to his father, who he saw as the ideal Halakhic Man. What is the work Halakhic Man about? He says there's three types of people. There's two types of people, and he brings Halakhic Man as the third. The first type of person he would call uh, rational man, okay? Someone who everything has to be very mathematical, rational, prove it to me, bring me beyond the reasonable doubt, and I'll believe it. If I see it, I believe it. You know the type? Easy to explain, yeah? Walks through the world and deals with the world in a very mechanistic, what can I see? How can I use it? Like, great. The next one he calls homo religiosus. This person, I suppose if you needed a picture in your mind, would be the Kabbalistic hustle. Things aren't necessarily logical, two plus two equals four, but let's immerse it in the, in the song that is the world. What's the name? Homo religiosus, like Homo sapiens. Um, someone who lives religious, who lives religion, not necessarily logical. Sfasi, if you will. Very colorful and lovely and emotional and 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 just all about all about the field, okay. And we all know 
which side we gear towards more, right? Um, definitely, I was more towards the Tzvasra vibe. Now I'm a little bit more, like with, with enough learning, I'm a little bit like get, get going that way. But, you know, it's good to have a balance. We all know where we are from just personality-wise. But Rosalavechik brings the third type. He calls it halachic man. It goes like this. Said, in the Torah, we have a mission of living with the spiritual, living with those colors that we can't see and the mechanisms that we can't understand. And also living with a logical, rational world. Because guess what? We still need to live in the world. The synthesis, he says, is halacha. Because what is halacha? Halacha is taking those cogs we can't see, taking those Kabbalistic reachings that we don't understand, bringing them down and working with them. So he says, a rational person looks at the sunset and sees atoms. I'm like, yeah, that's the horizon and that's how the sun goes down and like that's how it happens. Done. Boom. For homo religiosis, we look at it and we're like singing to it and it's so beautiful and all that. Great. Halachic man will look at the sunset and will enjoy it because God created it and it will and it tells me the time for mencha. I can use the sunset for something higher. There will never be a sunset like that again, and it's now exactly time for mencha. You see how that is using both together? It's not just logical, although it is highly logical. It's not just spiritual, but it is highly spiritual. It's using a higher map for your logical understandings. That's what he says in Salah of Man. And I'd like to bring two explanations of Chagadia to show how we can actually get that synthesis. Okay? First thing of Chagadia. This is from the Vilna God. Um, so if you wanted something cool to say at the Seder table, it's, that's just the, what is Chagadia. This is one really nice stuff. Chagad, one thing that my father got two years ago. Let's do this on the board. He shows how Chagad is literally Jewish people throughout time until all the way at the end of time when Mashiach comes. Each step, different place, different pivotal time that had to happen in the tapestry of our history to get us to where we are now and where we want to be. Okay? Chagad, yeah? One kid. So that's a goat, yeah? God, yeah? God, yeah. Three, this is a matria. Three, God is four, Yod is ten, and hey is five. No, sorry, Gadi. Gadi. So there, that's 17, just by the way. Um, one kid that my father bought. 17, but hang on. My father bought for two zuzin. I'll just write it like this. It's a card. And what's happening with the point? Uh, Dadia is in Aramaic. Gidi would be in Hebrew. Um, okay, father bought for two zuzin. Who is the father? Who is the first father of ever, all Jews? Yaakov. Yaakov, what did Yaakov buy for two things? He bought the firstborn. Uh, the, the firstborn permission, the, the fact that he was the firstborn from Asa for soup and bread. Two things. So, father is Yaakov, and Tuzuzim was him buying the Bukhara, him buying that right of the firstborn, buying the right to be the Jewish people, to be the God's firstborn for two things. So, this is Yaakov, the father. Okay. 
The Gedi, who was 17 when he was sold, is Yosef. His son, Yaakov's son. Okay, so far good? One kid, one kid. Yosef is going out. Now you have to remember, this was a very pivotal time in Jewish history. Because Yaakov is the first real father of, of the Jews. All of Abraham and Isaac's kids are not all Jews. Yaakov's kids are all Jews. That's why his name is Israel. <laughs> and his beloved son is the first one who goes into exile. Very similar to what Jewish people have always been. Why? Yeah. Why is it beautiful? I'm going to say in a minute. Because of Yosef, the rest of the history happened. Well, you'll say in a minute because of the cat. Along came the cat and bit the kid. Cats are known to be jealous. The cat bit the kid. Those are the brothers. Okay? So Yosef's brothers that, that sold him to slavery because... They were jealous. Now comes the dog. The dog is Pharaoh that then enslaves the Israelites. Okay? Along comes the stick and hits the dog. This is known as Moshe's stick, right? Moshe had that stick that turned into a snake and created the a lot of the, the plates, that stick beat the dog. Just call it Moshe. Also, a deeper understanding of Moshe being a stick. Yes, he had a stick, but why did he have a stick? Again, I've heard explain that Moshe couldn't see himself as he's the hero. You know, like Superman, I saved the people. I don't know. You are but a stick. You are but an emissary for my power, Moshe. I'm speaking of God. Um, God is sending Moshe Ke'ilu as the stick, the Kaddish power. He doesn't do it himself. He is a um, a cleave, a vessel. Okay? Stick, dog. Great. Next. Now, we've got Moshe. Moshe brings this crazy awareness of, of, of God into the Jewish people. And they walk with Moshe. They walk with that awareness of God. Remember, this was before the Talmud of discussion, of understanding. This was miracles. It was a different um, way of living. It wasn't our Judaism that we know today. It was a lot simpler, a lot clearer, less, less like yeshiva discussions, right? Along comes the fire, right? This is the fire of the first base of Mikdash, first temple. And, and burns that clarity. The first temple, that's when things started falling down. The, the fire there was the three cardinal sins um, that they did and deserved the first temple. That's your fire. But what happened then? What saved the Jews? That's when the wisdom of Torah discussion about where the fire destroyed the stick being Moshe, that's the Jews in time of miracles, clarity. Moshe was the stick, but the fire of the Tzahara of the first temple, just the fire of the temple, destroyed that. It was the next stage. But now what saves the Jews? The Torah, the discussion, the wisdom, the Peh, the Talmudic discussion, came out around this time. And the Torah is known as water, the water of life. Caught in the water, and that's the fire. So you can call this the Anshik Nesagadola, the men of the great assembly. I'll just write here assembly. 
Those are the people who made who made the Siddur, who put into the laws that we today know. What happened then? Came the ox. The ox would be Edom, would be the second temple. An ox lapped up the water. An ox is known um, to deal very much of a loner. What caused the second temple? Us not be nice to each other, right? So that's the second temple. You mean to be destroyed? Yes, to be destroyed. Yes, thank you. To be destroyed. Okay, but now what? Now we're in the second temple. We're right now after the second temple. We're still here. We're still scattered alone there. But then we have a prophecy. We know that there will be a Mashiach ben Yosef. Mashiach ben Yosef, they say, people don't know. It's going to be a warrior. He's going to die before the ultimate Mashiach comes. That's the show. The show, the slaughter. So the show is Mashiach ben Yosef. Because he's the one that like fights the battle. Exactly. But he's gonna die. That's the, that we know that he's not gonna survive until the ultimate. So that's your Malakamov as the angel of death. He's gonna die because he's gonna die. That's your angel of death, you know. But then the final redemption will come a Sheikh bin David. And that's when the final redemption will gonna be, which is going to be resurrection of the dead. And the the ultimate becoming of the world as it as it always should be, and that so when Hashem is going to step in, and you know, be all and all the symbolism basically goes back to it all started from one kid. It all started all the way back from Yaakov. And now here we are, and we're still here. But we keep going back because we want to see that everything has a plan. Every part of your life is in here somewhere, going back to the first mission. This, you would compare to homo religiosus. There's this big system. We don't really understand it, but we all belong in the system. And God has a plan for all of us. Okay. There's a danger to this. This is a really nice thing if you want to share this with the Seder. There's a danger to this. And I would and I want to show that to you by showing you another ex um, explanation from somebody else of Sagadia. This is is that can I wipe this up? Okay, so I'm just gonna explain it. I don't actually need the, the, the board. This other one goes like this. You have a goat. Goat's just there, lapping up some water, eating some grass. Comes a cat, bites the goat. Is the cat guilty or innocent? Mm -hmm. The cat guilty. just bit the goat. <laughs> it's just insane. Insane, yeah. But let's let, let, okay. let's let's add some more. Oh, okay. The the the, the cat okay. guilty. Fairly guilty. guilty. Okay. Yes, I know, right? But then the dog comes and bites the cat. So what is the dog? Hero. But then the stick comes. So the stick's the bad guy. But then the fire comes. Fire's the good guy. Water comes. Water's the bad guy. What did he do that for? Ox comes. Ox is a good guy. 
Shochet comes. Shochet's the bad guy. Wait a minute. Malchamavas, Idlov does come. He's a good guy. And then God's the bad guy? Huh? If you follow it through like that, God ends up being the bad guy. What do we do with that? Whose idea is this? I can't remember. I'll try better. If you too much try to put yourself into the cause of the world, God's going to end up being the bad guy. If you look at this big factory that's the world and you're like, well, God did this because of that. And I'm going to make a bet with God that if I'm supposed to go here, that he should make that come. Oh, he didn't make that come. That means I have to do that. God's going to end up being the bad guy. Because you're trying to fit God's world into the size of your head. Yep. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's a different Can you like repeat the order of something? Yeah, sure. I got it wrong. I ended up with God as zero. Okay. Check it out. Good. Bad. No, sorry, sorry. Follow. Sorry. Good. Bad. Good. Bad. Good. Bad. Good. Bad. Good, bad. Oh, angel of death, Yeah, you can't remember the angel of death, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> so if you take this whole thing, but you try to figure it out, because he's a hero, and I'm going to judge that, 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 in the end, God's going to be bad. So that is too rational. Mm-hmm. And that's the other side of it. Now, what do we do? We try to merge them. Is that on the one hand, yes, there's a plan. History has a plan. My own personal history has a plan as well. And at the same time, I'm not going to take my history and try to mush it to fit into my brain. There's still stuff that I don't know. For example, who told the dog to get in, get in the picture? Why did the dog mix in? What's, who appointed him to be the policeman? Maybe the goat wasn't as innocent as we thought he was. Maybe he was taunting the cat. Maybe the cat really was bad, and then the, the dog really was good, but somebody by mistake dropped the stick. But the fire thought the stick was dropped on purpose. We don't know. That's the point. We don't know. So Amuna is also to know that you're in a big picture, but also to know that you don't necessarily know what the picture is. Amuna is to be faithful to a picture that you don't necessarily, that you have faith that that picture is made by an artist that's bigger than your head. My, my son is now, um, Batsala is six, and he's now starting to ask me all those you know, how big is the universe and how it will be forever and who made Hashem and, you know, like all that. And I try to say, like, imagine you have a robot. You built a robot. Would that robot understand you? And he's like, no. I'm like, right, because you made it. You can't understand Hashem. made us. And the Kabbalistic teaching, we exist in Hashem. Imagine you, you dreamt about stuff. Those People you're dreaming about are in your dream. In a way, we are in God's dream. Not, not really, but like that. We can understand. Mm-hmm. So to be a halachic bat, we need to know both. We need to have that flavor of we're part of history and there's more to the world. And we also need to know that just because we're part of history and there's also in the world, can't mean that we are now allowed to make our own Hashemonas. Which is interesting because sometimes we do see a sign in our life. Did any of you really have a, a one time you really felt that God was talking to you through what was going happening in the world? 
And that's amazing. That means that you have a consciousness that is God-centered. It means you're living a God-powered life. Great. But you can't see it and learn stuff that are not any way good values. You can't be like, oh, now God wants me to do that. You don't know. You can say, ah, God, I hear what you're saying because I anyway need to do this. I, I need to be kinder or I need to be more focused. That you can say. But you can't take it to mean what you want. So that's putting God into your head, in the size of your head. Is that clear? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. So what this all comes out Um, Let's just read this. On Pesach, it is not enough to just mention that we were slaves and we are now free. We mention the fact that it happened miraculously. We speak about <laughs> and clear involvement of God's strong hand and the outstretched arm and the miracles, amazing wonders that took place. This is reflecting in the wording of the Rambam and the Seder itself. We need to mention the miracles. The Yashrash writes that God's ability to perform miracles is far less impressive than his ability to make the world work with the laws of nature, which can be defined as a constant and consistent miracle. The fact that God's presence can be felt and manifest itself in this physical world is much a greater theological feat than a simple miracle. Now, that's talking about, again, that miracle and then working with it. When we're saying Chagadya, we're saying all these look normal, but we see the greater pattern in it. That's Amuna. Seeing yourself as in this whole map of practice, of, of mission, purpose, that's Amuna. And what you come out with here, done properly, of, on the one hand, I don't understand it. On the other hand, I do believe that I'm part of a bigger place, is Seder. You see that the world has Seder. You see that there is a fun, which is the, the Seder night's called Seder for a reason. What is Amuna? Knowing that you have Seder. And that's why the last thing we're saying is you went through the Seder. You just finished it. What's the this is the litmus test. Going through all these random things, the cat and the stick. Can you see the hand of God? Can you see that it all comes from God in a way that I don't necessarily understand? Yes or no? Did you go through the Seder? Did it give you a Muna? Did it give you Seder? Or is this all a bunch of random uh, fairy tales? 